0: Amen, let's open our Bible's Revelation, Revelation chapter 19 19. I want to share a message and tell her our God is victorious. We've been singing songs today, It's speaking about the power of our God and the victory our God has. So I want to continue to continue that thought as we consider our God is victorious. Revelation chapter 19. It's a hard book to find in the Bible. It's the last one. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Revelation 19 and verse 11. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he thus judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God." And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us this. Uh, a very vivid picture of what it will be like when Jesus comes and makes war with the armies of this world. We're thankful, Lord, that we have a God who is all-powerful, a God who is the one who is greater than uh, all the power that can be accumulated on this earth, Lord. We're thankful that we have a Savior Uh, that was able to defeat sin and death and hell and the devil and be able to deliver our souls from the bondage of sin and hell and death. We're thankful that we have life through faith in Christ. We're thankful, Lord, that we can study the word together this morning. And I would ask you, Lord, to send thy Holy Spirit upon this place. May the Holy Spirit bring conviction on those that may not be saved this morning. And God, I pray if there's someone here that's never been born again, Lord, that today they would respond to the invitation and come and receive Christ as their Savior, be able to leave here knowing they're going to heaven and that they're a child of God. I pray for every believer this morning that we might be stirred in our faith, we might be challenged in regards to the things that are around us, Lord, and and the closeness and the quickness of the return of Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us in a great way today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 21. The remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Which sword proceeded out of his mouth? And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so our God is victorious. It's an amazing thing to read through the book of Revelation and just see the different Uh, stages of the end times and seeing what will be fulfilled as Jesus Christ returns. The amazing thing is if you study mankind, you study history of man, you study church, study the Bible historically, uh, you'll find the depravity of man always leads him into a false assurance uh, that he can just live as he pleases without any consequences, the reality is that man in his depravity has fallen into bondage of sin, and in the bondage of sin, uh, he is accountable to God for his actions, and he cannot just live as he pleases. And uh, there is old old preacher years ago, R.G. Lee, preached a message as a payday someday. And the reality is there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of accounting in Revelation 19 is dealing with that day of accounting and reckoning when Jesus Christ returns and fights against the armies of this world. And man has to give an account of his for his sin and his rebellion and disobedience to the commands that are in the word of God. Heard an old preacher say years ago, this is not a book of better ways, but rather this is a book of commands. And uh, we need to obey every command that's in it, And uh, because we are accountable to the God who gave that command. But man in his depravity thinks he can get away with whatever he pleases. The reality is before the flood, man thought that. uh, Man was so sinful, so wicked. It says that every wicked imagination of his heart. I mean, you look at the world we live in today and, and you just think to yourselves, how can people get so gross, so immoral? How far can they go? How corrupt can they get? And uh, the reality is we see that before the flood. They got so corrupt that God would send a flood and destroy them. the amazing thing is that Noah would spend his time building the ark, warning the people that the judgment of God was coming, but yet they did not respond. And when it was too late, when the door, when the ark was closed and the wrath of God, the rain was coming down and the floods were building, it was too late for the then. But they had to give an account for their sinfulness and the judgment of God fell on them. The amazing thing that Moses, you see Moses standing before Pharaoh and demanding of Pharaoh that he would release the children of Israel. Pharaoh's response to Moses would simply be, I don't know your God. Uh, I don't worship your God. I don't fear your God. I'm not going to let your people go. And God would bring ten plagues on Egypt and on Pharaoh because of their refusal to accept and acknowledge the consequence of rebelling against a holy God. And when God brought death on all the firstborn, uh, Pharaoh bent his knee and would have to let the children of Israel go. Uh, There is a judgment day coming. Uh, There is the wrath of God that will be poured out. And mankind is going to have to answer for every sin uh, that he has in rebellion against a holy God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Timothy is warned by Paul, the Apostle Paul, of what the end days would be like. And it's like reading a newspaper or reading a, a, a video, watching a video clip of the days in which we live. That was recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul says this in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy verse 1. This know also. Now he's already given a lot of information to Timothy. He gave him the whole first book of uh, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 through 6. Chapter 6. He gave Timothy two chapters in 2 Timothy. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And now as he writes chapter 3. He says now. I want you to know something else also. And when God says, I want you to pay attention, I got something else I want to tell you. It's time for the people of God to pay attention to what he has to say. This know also, that in the last days, perilous time shall come. I don't know why we're brought in, caught up in this false illusion uh, that as the closeness of Christ gets closer and closer to his return, that things are going to get better and better. The reality is everything in the scripture says things are going to get worse. And uh, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Please tell me where the exemption line is for us in America in 2019. There is no exemption line. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said in this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And so the amazing thing is perilous times are upon us and they're going to become greater as the return of Christ rapidly comes. And he says, the last days, perilous times shall come. And then he starts describing what the perilous times are. In verse 2, he says, for men shall be lovers of themselves. I get tickled. Everybody's got their own cell phones when they take all their own selfies. Yeah, and in love with ourselves, you know. Take a picture. Oh, I'm in shop right. I'm gone. Who cares? I don't care if you're in shop right. You know. I'm oh, driving through Dunkin' Donuts now. Well, good. Get me a coffee while you're there. You know. <laughs> uh, selfies. I mean, we're we're consumed with ourselves. They say statistically, American society. If you could sum up American society in one word, it's selfishness. And yet we're in in the Bible 2,000 years ago, Paul predicted what the end times would be like. Men shall be lovers of themselves. Listen to these uh, words of condemnation. Covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, Now, I could expound every one of those words, but without expounding each one of those words, you know what the Apostle Paul is saying, what the character traits will be in the last days. Perilous times are upon us. And we know that man is not going to escape the wrath and the judgment of God because of the fact that he's comfortable in living a life of disobedience and rebellion against God. God brought His judgment on those before the flood, God brought his judgment on Egypt. He brought his judgment in Israel throughout the history of Israel. And God has brought judgment on the church. Uh, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. There is absolutely no way that we can say in the time and era in which we live that man can escape the judgment of God. Why? Because our God is victorious. He does not lose. He wins every time. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's what it says in Genesis 18, 25. And so every judgment that God passes, every judgment that God fulfills is a right, just, righteous judgment that He passes. And every place where you see God exercising His wrath and judgment throughout the Bible, it's always a just uh, judgment. Yet man believes... He's just in living his life completely void of the commands of God. And here, Revelation chapter 19, John is receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is not the revelation of John. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And John is pinning for us the things that de- to declare to us uh, the majesty and might and power of our God. Our God is Vic victorious. If you're a Christian, you're on the winning side. If you're a Christian, you can't lose. It doesn't matter what goes on. If you're a Christian, you're with Christ, you're always going to win. And so our God is victorious. So let's look at a few things here Uh, about this. We see the first of all, the character of our God recorded in this passage. Notice in uh, verse 11 through 13, first of all, the character of our God, his resolve. It says, he sat upon, that uh, sat upon him, was called faithful. His resolve is to be faithful. You know, Hebrews thirteen eight says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm thankful that God is faithful, that whatever he has called us to do, he'll perform it in our life. I'm thankful that he is faithful to be a God who does not change. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. I'm thankful when I got saved back in 1979, uh, God completely changed my life in a miraculous way. I'm glad that 35 years later that God has not changed who he is. I'm glad he's still a God of grace and still a God of mercy and still a God of forgives. And I'm I'm glad that he's still a God that is holy and he demands in my life holiness. And so he is faithful and true. His character is he does not change. His character is he accomplishes everything that he launches out to accomplish. And the amazing thing is, because of that, he is always victorious. I'll tell you, it's a challenge when you have to deal with people who are constantly flip-flopping back and forth. You can't depend on somebody who's ever-changing all the time. But you can depend on God because his resolve is he is faithful. Notice also it says here he's faithful and true. True, what I think would identify his position. He is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I thought about this when I was preaching in the early service. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's interesting how truth is packed in right between the way and life. You know, you don't have direction in your life if you don't have truth. And and listen, you don't have eternal life if you don't have truth. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when it says that he is faithful and true, I just understand his resolve that he's never going to change and he's always going to continue as he is But his position is that everything about life and eternity and reality of God is based upon him. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm thankful the position of the church is on the truth of the reality of who Christ is. Neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so I'm thankful this morning that the character of my God is that he has a resolve that he's faithful and he has a position that he is true. But I see also his omniscience. It says in verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire. I love reading that in the scriptures Several times it says that about Jesus, his omniscience. You know, in Hebrews 12, 49 says, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, I, how, how dangerous it is, how fearful it is it to fall into the hands of an angry God. How fearful is it to fall into the hands of a just holy God, and yet here we are, he is one who is uh, has eyes as a flaming fire. I believe that speaks of the fact that he sees his with his eyes pierces through everything there's nothing hid, nothing hid. You know the amazing thing is that Peter. Uh, would be warned by Jesus that you'll deny me. And you'll deny me thrice. Before the cock crow, you'll deny me thrice. Peter said, though all should forsake you, Lord, I'll never forsake you. I'll die, I'm willing to die for you, Lord. I'm willing to die with you. Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me. And Peter is out in the court as Jesus is in the judgment hall being questioned. And as he's out there, he denies the Lord three times. And the interesting thing is in Luke it says that when Jesus was brought out of the judgment hall he looked at Peter. And it's amazing thing here that the Greek word for to look or to see is blepo. But the word that is used there the Greek word is emblepo and it literally means to see through to the very heart and soul of something. And his eyes as a flaming fire he looked on Peter And his eyes pierced through the very soul of all that Peter is. And the Bible says when he did that, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. It ought to, listen, it ought to stir our hearts to weeping under conviction when we realize the omniscience of God. There's not one thing that you can hide away from God. There's not one thing that you can get away with because God knows everything and He sees everything. And the wrath of Almighty God comes on these individuals. They have no defense because God has already seen their wickedness and the evilness of their hearts. And so I see the omniscience of God. I see here in verse 12, it says, I know on His head were many crowns. I believe that speaks of the sovereignty of Christ. Crowns always speak of authority, speak of a rulership or kingship. And here is Christ has many crowns. He doesn't have one crown, he has many crowns. Romans chapter 14 and 11 says, For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And the sovereignty of the Lord. He is in control of all things. There's these people come up with this idea that God created the world and he wound it up as a big clock and just let the world go running as he pleases. That is not true. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. Jesus Christ created everything, he sustains everything. He rules and reigns from the throne in heaven. There is nothing that goes on in this world that he cannot control and uh, and uh, be in charge of. He is completely sovereign over everything that takes place. He has many crowns. The character of my God is he cannot, he cannot lose. He is always victorious because of his sovereignty. But I also see his immensity. In verse 12, he says, and he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. I mean, I believe that is speaking in reference to his name is too vast, too large, too broad, too all-encompassing for anybody to be able to comprehend his name. In Romans chapter 11, in verse 33, the apostle Paul speaks to this immensity of our God. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, it says, all the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know what some people say, well I want a God, I got to know everything about God, I got to figure out everything, I got to be able to explain everything. You realize if that's true, then your God is no bigger than what you are. My God is so immense. My God is so large. My God is so encompassing. Uh, There's absolutely no way that I can comprehend everything. When you say the name of Jesus, just the name Jesus itself is so encompassing of everything, of all reality and life and eternity, how in the world can somebody with a finite mind like we have be able to comprehend that? The character of our God is... We see His resolve, His position, His omniscience, His sovereignty, His immensity. I see also His atonement. In verse 13 of our text, He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions of sins. We observe the Lord's table on the first Sunday of the month. We always rejoice in the fact that the juice we drink represents the blood of Christ that was shed And the reason is because that blood that was shed on Calvary provided the atonement, the cleansing, if you will, the forgiveness, the release from the bondage of all the sin in our life. The atonement took place and we know that we're saved because the blood was shed. We know we're saved because Jesus died in our place. He took all of our punishment on Him, and He shed His blood to cover all those sins to satisfy a holy Father in heaven. And I'm telling you one thing right now: our God is victorious because of the blood that He shed. Different people want to take the blood out of songs they sing. You have no blood in your songs, you have no power. You have no blood, uh, acknowledgement of the blood in the church. You have no ability to enjoy the omnipotence and the, of Almighty God. It's the, through the blood that we are saved and through the blood we are cleansed. Well, I see His atonement. I, I'll get off this first point in a minute. Don't worry. This is just the first point. You say, good night, we'll be here all day. His eternality. Notice it says He is, he is clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And His name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning, and all things were created by Him, and nothing was created that was made except if it was created by Him. And the amazing thing is this, the reality that His name is the Word of God. And the amazing thing is really the eternality that before anything existed, Christ was here. He didn't all of a sudden come into existence when he was conceived of Mary. He didn't come into existence when he was born of Mary. He was the one who created Mary. He's the one, listen, he is the one who it was before anything is, Jesus Christ is. That's why he said, before Abraham was, before Abraham was, I am. He is before, he said, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. There is nothing that ever existed before Jesus Christ existed, nor will exist uh, uh, after he's gone because he ain't going anywhere. Amen? (laughs) The character of our God. Uh, Notice, not only the character of our God, but in this passage, we see the conquest of our God. Notice in verse 14, a mighty, righteous army comes with him. My wife always loves this verse. Says in the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. She always wants to ride a horse, and so we never ride any horses. She got mad at me because growing up on the farm we had horses all the time. By the time I started dating her, I got tired of a horse, sold it, and bought a motorcycle, you know. <laughs> she never like that. She went, I want to ride a horse. Well, she's going to. Amen. That's us. That's the believers. Followed him with white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Why? Because we've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. When the conquest of our God takes place, as Jesus comes to fight against the armies of this world and the nations of this world, hallelujah, he brings us with him. But we don't do any fighting. He does it himself. The mighty, righteous army. There's authority, reigning king in verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he shall should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a the rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture on his thigh uh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I see authority. Jesus said all power. The Greek word is really authority. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I'm thankful that he is the one who is in absolute authority. He is the king of kings. We're looking for no other king. He is the Lord of lords. We're not looking for any other lord. We already have Jesus. He is the conquest of our God is that he comes down as the one that's almighty and the one who is in authority. So I see the almighty destroying conqueror in verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to, uh, to all the fowls that uh, fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that they, I'm sorry, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men both free and bond, both small and great, He is the Almighty Destroyer. Uh, greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. He's He is the Great Destroyer. Our God is victorious. So I see the character of God. I see our conquest of our God, and see I, then I see the condemnation of our God in verse 19 through 21. It says and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army notice he breaks the strength of the enemy the enemy is strong he fights i'll tell you your flesh is your enemy your flesh wants to destroy you wants to rob you of your testimony for the lord that's why you need to buffet your body and bring it in subjection the the devil is your enemy Uh, He wants to destroy you. He wants to manipulate you and control you. He wants to turn you away from your God. And so uh, you need to overcome the attack of the devil and of the flesh. The world is your enemy. You know, the world is on a course of corruption that is unbelievable. I cannot believe how rapidly this world is going downhill morally how quickly they seem to try to oppress and to try to force people to fit into the mold that they want you to be. They are your enemy. The world is the enemy. The devil is your enemy. Your flesh is your enemy. I remember preaching a message years ago I, I, entitled, Identify the Enemy. You're not going to be able to defeat the enemy if you don't identify it. And here is Jesus coming to make war and he's making war with all the armies that are of the world and, uh, and he brings his army with him. So he breaks the strength of the enemy. I'm going to tell you, whether it's addiction or alcoholism or whatever it is, whatever ism you want to put down as what's binding you up, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is greater. I want you to know that he can set you free. I mean the devil a devil cannot defeat you because Jesus Christ is on your side. I'll tell you right now, this preacher has had to overcome all kinds of things in my life and I'm glad I didn't overcome them but by the blood of the lamb, amen. I'm glad that I can be have victory in my life because of the power of Christ that rests upon us. Don't, don't fall into the temptation of the world. Don't be overcome by the power of the devil because listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? The problem is we open ourselves up to these things because we enjoy them. Hey, my, my flesh likes doing what I used to do before I got saved. But wait a minute, that, that is not bringing glory to my Savior and hallelujah, he set me free from it. So why would I go back into bondage? Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and be not in yoke with a bondage anymore. Why should we go back into bondage again? Why should we go back to be in submission to the world and the devil and the flesh when God has something greater and better for us? And so the condemnation of our God, He breaks the strength of the enemy. There's no enemy that's too strong for the Lord. Then He ends the influence of heresy. In verse 20, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles. And I thought of this when I was preaching earlier this morning of, uh, wrought miracles. Don't think everything that's going on in church because it's supposedly a miracle is of a miracle that's of God. That's why John says, Brethren, beloved, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit whether it be of God. I'm going to tell you, the devil's going to be doing an awful lot of miracles. The false prophet's gonna be doing an awful lot of miracles for one reason, that's to deceive people. Notice he says, oh, a false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive uh, into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And so he ends the influence of heresy. You read the books that the Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. You read Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians. And all these books that Paul wrote in the New Testament, he wrote addressing the heresy that was creeping into the church. And if there's ever a day where we need to hold to the truths that are in the Word of God, uh, it is today, because I'm telling you the church is being bombarded with all kinds of heresy. I'll tell you, I've been in ministry 35 years, and I'll tell you, from the time I started in ministry to this very day, without fail, I'm constantly being hit with all kinds of different trends, all kinds of different movements, all kinds of different doctrines that everybody wants to try to introduce and bring in, and I'm sorry, it ain't going to happen. You know, the reality is it's ultimately they're going to be cast into the pits of hell because of the fact they're bringing heresy in that deceives people and robs them of the hope that they have in Christ. So he breaks the strength of the enemy. He ends the influence of heresy. And I like verse 21. He speaks a word of victory. And it says, And the remnant shall, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. And here it is, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. It is Christ that declares victory. It is Christ who speaks a word of victory. And I'm glad this morning that I can be on the winning side. I don't like losing. I never have liked losing. We live in an era and time where we have to coddle people who lose and make sure they feel good about themselves because they lost. Well, I'm here to tell you, You gotta be on the winning side with Jesus if you're gonna go to heaven. You're not just gonna get to heaven because you're gonna try to be a good person. You have to trust Christ as your savior. And when you trust Christ as your savior, uh, now you're on the winning side. You're the one that Jesus beat the devil. He is victorious over sin. Uh, He has overcome the world. We can overcome the world through our faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And so our God is victorious. All other gods are false. All other gods are, are heresies. All other gods are against our God in heaven. There's only one true God, and that's the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, He is the one who has revealed to us all that God is in heaven, and He has given to us His Holy Spirit that abides in us and indwells in us and empowers us to live a victorious life each and every day. I think the Christian all will all be excited about winning. I think the Christian all will all be excited about uh, being able to enjoy a life of victory because of all that Christ is in us. It's not about who we are. It's about who Christ is in us. And to God be the glory for anything that takes place in our life. The, the, the victory, the amazing thing is in chapter 19 of Revelation, the victory is not based on the army, the righteous army that comes with Christ. The victory is based on Christ and Christ alone. And if we're going to have victory in our life, then it's going to be Christ and Christ alone. Our God is victorious. I don't know about the song the choir sang this morning. Every time I've sung that song, every time I direct that song, I start crying. I gotta, and I always have to start praying while I'm directing the song, Lord, get my emotions under control. Because I get out of control when I think our God is victorious. I'm going to tell you, if I was sitting out there, I'd be jumping out of my seat when that song was being sung. I'll guarantee you that. You'd think I was some, some nutcase from down south or something. Man, I'll tell you what, if I, that thing just stirs me up when I think of all that Christ is and all that I'm not. But yet he gives me victory. Well, Hallelujah. Our God is victorious. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful, God, for your grace. It's amazing to think what you would do with wretched sinners like us. You'd take this poor sinner, you'd give me a new life. Lord, you'd take all the wickedness on my path, put it under the blood. And then you give me power to stand against the temptations of the devil. What an amazing thought. And yet, Lord, it doesn't stop there. You've promised eternal life. You've uh, revealed to us the victory we're going to have in all that Christ is doing for us now and throughout eternity. I pray, O oh God, if someone's not saved, I pray they might come and be saved today. Without Christ, they have no hope. They're lost. But Lord, in Jesus, they can be saved and victorious. I pray you draw them to the cross. I pray for every believer this morning, Lord. May we live in light of the reality of the victory of our God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.